Welcome to the Miami Valley Church Podcast. We're so excited that you are here with us. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you are going to hear today. We'd love to have you join us online Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at miamivalley.org. If you love the Miami Valley Church Podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Now go, love the valley right where you are. Hey, good morning and welcome to Miami Valley Church. My name is Pastor Jed and I want to say thank you for allowing us into the church that's meeting in your home this morning. We are going to continue in our series on the road again as Dr. Cox leads us to Psalm 132. I hope that you are ready. I'm excited this morning. Let's get into it. I have a question for you as we get going today. What do you do when your stresses are greater than your strengths? You know how that plays out in life, especially in this season of life. We look at all of the natural upheavals that are going on around us, tornadoes and earthquakes and hurricanes and and a global pandemic, COVID-19, that's just created all this kind of upheaval and it's out of our control. Add to these natural upheavals, add this national and international unrest. We see all of the unrest all across the world and in our own communities and it causes great stress. Add to those things, just personal uncertainty. And we just don't know how to operate when our stresses are greater than our strengths. But we're going to find out how do we do that as we look at Psalm 132 today. This is the 13th of 15 songs of ascent as God's pilgrims are traveling to Jerusalem for the great three festivals of the year. And they're about ready to worship, but the journey's getting harder and they don't know if they can keep going. And they figure out how to keep going as they look at their history. And so today, maybe we could get at this a a different way. As I think about this, I believe that every individual has the desire to do something great for God. And in order for that desire to be fulfilled, it requires this courageous readiness that's ready to push through against all odds. It requires this dogged determination. It requires a, a spirited and focused resolve to just keep going. In a word, it requires pluck. We don't use that word very much in its noun form. We use it in its verb form to pluck our eyebrows or to pluck feathers out of a, ver- a bird. But in its noun form, pluck means the spirited, courageous determination. And as we look at Psalm 132 today, we're going to see a whole bunch of pluck. And so I want to invite you to stand as I quote Psalm 132. As I recite it, maybe somebody in your house church has memorized it and they'd like to recite it. So you can just hit mute and then we'll join back together for the teaching. But Psalm 132, we stand in reverence to God's word. Psalm 132. A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. Lord, remember David and all the affliction that he endured. He swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house. I will not lie on my bed. I will not let my eyes sleep nor close my eyelids in slumber until I have found a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard that the ark was in Ephrathah until we came upon it in the distant woods of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, Arise, Lord, enter your resting place forever, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed in righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David. With a vow, he will never revoke. I will place one of your sons upon your throne. And if your sons agree to the terms of my covenant and the laws that I will teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. The Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it as as his dwelling place, saying, this will be my resting place forever. I will dwell here. I have desired it. I will bless this city with abundant provisions. I will feed and satisfy its people with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation and her faithful people will ever sing loudly for joy. Here, I will make a horn blossom for David. I will set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. God, would you take this word of yours, plant it deep into our hearts so that we can have courage and spirit of determination when we face weaknesses. Our stresses are greater than our strengths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Psalm 132 
18 long verses that when you dig into them, you see they cover the entire Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we don't have time to get into that in the 20 minutes or so that I'm going to spend with you. So I hope you'll get involved in one of our Miami Valley groups. Uh, maybe your house church will want to go more in depth. Maybe uh, one of the groups through the week is going to want to go more in depth. As you just dig in, there's so much in this song that helps us understand what to do when our stresses are greater than our strengths. So what I want to do is I just want to go through the psalm kind of verse by verse and, and just make some applications for what it might mean for us as individuals, what it might mean for us as a church. And so if you look at this psalm, Psalm 132, it really divides into two halves, verses 1 through 10 and then verses 11 through 18. And as you look at these, I would put some overarching scriptures on top of them. So verses 1 through 10, I, I would, would remind you that the scriptures say that God has planted eternity in your heart. I would remind you that the scriptures say that you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do. That there is a desire inside of you to do something great for God. And if you're going to fulfill that desire, it's going to require pluck. So let's just look at this psalm. Verse 1 starts out, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's an appeal to the God with whom the songwriter has a personal relationship. In this instance, we don't know for sure who the psalm writer is. Some of these songs of a sense have said a song of David or a song of Solomon, but this one doesn't give us that indication. But I do not think, our, our tendency when we don't know who writes the song is to immediately think that it's David. And, and that's true in many of the psalms, I think, but not with this one, because it says, Lord, remember David. And David doesn't talk about himself that way. David's much more intimate in a relationship with God than to talk about himself in the third person. David's going to say, me and my. I think if you look down at verse 10, it says, for the sake of your servant David, remember uh, or do not reject uh, your anointed one. I think this is the king after David. I think this is David's son Solomon. And one of the places your house church leader or your group leader might be able to take you different, uh, take you deeper, is some of the words in Psalm 132 are a direct. A quote from Solomon when he dedicated the temple, words of dedication and words of prayer as he dedicates the temple of God. And so uh, the songwriter says, whoever it is, says, Lord, remember David. So does the songwriter all of a sudden think God's having memory problems? Like, okay, God, quiz time, uh, second king of Israel. And God's like, ah, second king of Israel, second king of Israel. Uh, shepherd boy, uh, nah, it's right on the tip of my... No, God doesn't have those kind of memory problems. Uh, for those of you just becoming familiar with the Bible, it's broken down into 66 books and into what we call two testaments. So the first 39 books, the Older Testament, written mainly in Hebrew. The last 27 books, the New Testament, written mainly in Greek. And so the Hebrew word for remember here, uh, it means God take action. Action. What we understand is that when we talk about remembrance according to the Hebrew language and to the Hebrew mindset, it's, it's remembrance leads to action. God, I'm asking, this is a prayer, asking God to act. And he says, God, a Lord, a remember David and all the afflictions he endured. Some of your translations say hardships. Uh, this isn't external hardships, and David went through those, right? A decade of his life, all of his 20s, he's on the run from King Saul. And he's going to endure hardship, sleeping in caves, and uh, his own son's going to try to uh, take over his throne. It's not about external hardships. This word afflictions, hardships, it talks about um, uh, mental distress, anxiety of the soul. That something's so heavy on your mind, so heavy on your heart, that it's just causing distress when your stresses are greater than your strengths. And, and what are they? And, and the songwriter gives us a, some indication that there was one thing heavy on David's mind, and we're going to see what that is. The songwriter is going to say, uh, David swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. Uh, the mighty one of Jacob's a name for God that's used only five times in all of the uh, scriptures, two of them right here in Psalm 132. Uh, Jacob, uh, as you're becoming familiar with the scriptures, is referred to as one of the fathers of our faith. Sometimes he's referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Jacob is on the run in the Old Testament, Genesis 28, I think. He's on the run uh, from his brother Esau. And he's exhausted and he stops and he falls asleep and he uses a rock, a stone for a pillow. And he has this amazing dream and he sees this ladder, some translations say a staircase. He's got people going up and down to and from heaven. And he wakes up and he says, uh, I'm, I'm an idiot. God was in this place and I didn't even know it. I'm going to take this stone and I'm going to build something. And he calls that place and that stone, what he builds, Bethel, the house of God. And so Jacob is the first one who makes a vow to be intentional about building the house of God. And that's 
what's on David's mind, that he's going to build the house of God. What we would say is the temple, and ultimately God's going to tell him no, because you're a man of war and your son Solomon's going to build the temple. But David has a heart to return God to the central place of a nation, to return God, to put him in his right rightful place. And, and that's just been neglected over the years. And so he says, I swore he swore an oath to God. He made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. Listen to what David said. And just if you don't feel the angst, I will not enter my house. David's acknowledging that his, or the songwriter's acknowledging that David's uh, priorities are, were out of line. He built himself a house, but didn't build God one. Uh, he had a dwelling place, but God didn't have a dwelling place. I will not lie on my bed. He had a resting place. God didn't have a resting place. It reminds me of the words of Jesus when some would-be followers came up to him and said, we'll follow you. And Jesus said, uh, foxes have dens and the birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So David says, I, I will not enter my house. I, I will not lie on my bed. I, I will not let my eyes sleep, nor will I let my eyelids close and slumber. This keeps me awake at night. I wake up in the middle of the night, and this is what's on my mind. And I think some of us wake up in the middle of the night with things on our mind, but not the purposes of God. When's the last time the purpose and the mission of God and how you are supposed to love and share Jesus from your home in this valley, when that was what was on your mind, the purpose and the mission of God, that great thing that God wants you to do for him, this is just on David's mind all the time. And he can't stop thinking about it. He says, I will not enter my house. I will not lie on my bed. I will not let uh, my eyes sleep nor my eyelids uh, close in slumber until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the most, for the mighty one of Jacob. By the way, that great thing that you desire to do for the Lord, it's not going to happen in one big step. It's going to happen step by step by step, and each step you're going to have to have pluck to keep going. Why do I say that? Because in the Hebrew, that phrase dwelling place, it's not singular, it's plural. David says, until I find dwelling places for the Lord. Now, it's not that God needs multiple dwelling places. In fact, in the scriptures, the Lord is adamant that no no uh, structure built by human hands can contain him. Read Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 sometimes and other parts of the scripture where God's just going to be adamant that the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool, that he is, is, is dwelling in the heavens. So it's not there, but it's dwelling places. What, what's it mean? In order for David to find uh, this, this place for God to dwell and place for God to rest, it took a whole bunch of steps. For example, he had to go. And he had to make sure Jerusalem was firmly in the control of the land of Israel. He had to fight a battle for control of the city. He had to find a place for which where the temple could be built. But when he found the place, God said, that's the place. You know what? Somebody else owned it. It was a threshing floor, and David had to pay so that he could buy the piece of land. And he had to do all of these things step by step by step to accomplish the desire that was in his heart. And it's going to be the same for you. And with each step, you've got to have this pluck, this courageous readiness to push through this dogged determination, and, and David had it. And then the song says, uh, we heard that the ark was in Ephrathah. The ark, what's he talking about? It's it's the ark of the covenant. It's this box that's like um, 45 inches long. It's 27 inches deep, 27 inches wide. It's covered in gold, and it represented the presence and the power of God. And, and whenever it went uh, with the Israelites in battle, if it went before them and they handled it correctly, uh, God's spirit went ahead of them and they were victorious in battle. But somewhere along the line, they forgot to handle it correctly. And the Philistines, in a battle against the Israelites, the Philistines captured the ark and took it away. And the ark now over the course of time has disappeared from the thinking of the people. We know that for a while, the ark resided in a city called Shiloh. For a while, it re resided in Bethel. For 20 years, it resided in this city called Kiriath-Jerim. And, and so David's like, I need to get God back to the center of the nation. And I'm not going to build a temple, but oh yeah, we need the ark. Where's the ark? And nobody knew. But one day, David just heard, we heard that the ark was out in Ephrathah. Some people think that's Bethlehem, but I think it's the region of Kiriath-Jerim and where, it, where the ark remained for 20 years. And David hears, so he organizes this search party and they go out, they go looking for the ark and it's not in Kiriath-Jerim. And then it just says, we discovered it in the distant woods of Jair. Again, another name for Kiriath-Jerim. It was just out in the woods. You get the picture, right? That when our priorities are out of line, when we're more concerned about our house 
than God's purpose, when we're more concerned about those things, we begin to neglect the presence of God. When I when I read this, that the that the that the ark was just laying out in the woods, it immediately made me think of something our daughter found while she was out of the woods away at college, and she and she brought it home. And it's this Quaker State sign, and you can just tell by looking at this Quaker State sign that it has been out in the elements for a long, long time. It's rusted. Part of the sign's gone. The sign doesn't have its original luster. Uh, maybe you've seen a an episode of American Pickers where the guys are out picking in a junkyard and they got like trees growing through old cars because they've been sitting there so long. Well, this didn't happen to the ark that it lost its luster. It was still covered in gold and still brilliant and and amazing, but it had been neglected. Somebody just left it out in the woods because they had forgot about the power and the importance of, of the presence of God. Well, David and his search party find it, and now all of a sudden David gets excited, and the next verse says, let's go to his dwelling place. Let's worship at his footstool, saying, David's like, I got to get that there as fast as I can. We found it. Now we've got to go. But there's a problem. We've neglected the presence of God for so long. When our priorities are out of order, we want to set things straight just like that as quick as we can. But God had a plan for the way the ark was to be handled, and David forgot. And the ark was supposed to be carried on poles by priests, a priest from just a certain line. And the ark, the priests were supposed to be dressed a certain way. And David's like, that's going to take too long. So he's like, go get a couple of oxen. And they got some oxen and they put a cart uh, behind the oxen and they loaded the ark of the covenant into the cart. And the and the ark started to travel and the oxen started to stumble and the, the cart began to shift and the, and the ark of the covenant began to slide. And one of the men who was walking beside reached out, touched it, and he died. And David was reminded, we cannot carry God around however we want and use him at our whim. It's just not how it happens. We can't put him in a box and use him. He has a way and a plan and a purpose and a time. And so David left the ark there for three months at a house of a guy named Obed-Edom. And oh, what great time it would have been to be Obed-Edom because for the next 90 days, everything went right in his life because the ark of God had been recognized for what it was and the God's presence dwelt there. But David arranged the priest, came back and got the ark. He says, let's go to his dwelling place. Uh, let us worship at his foot, footstool, saying, Arise, Lord, enter your dwelling place forever, you and the ark of your might. I want you to see that David uh, the, that David begins to ask, and the songwriter begins to ask for three things, three requests that he makes of God. And the first one is this, God, let your presence and your power surround us and sustain us. God, we need your presence and we need your power. We've neglected it for a couple of decades now, but we acknowledge we need your presence and we need your power. Reminds me of the words of Moses when uh, he was sent to lead the people of, of Israel out of the land of slavery to the land of promise. He just looks at God and says to God one time, God, uh, I want to go from here to there, but if your spirit doesn't go with us, don't even take us. And my friend, it's about the, the presence and the power of God. And David is just saying in this vow that he's made, God, now that I'm returning the ark to its place. I don't want it to just be a symbol. I don't just want it to be a religious trinket. I want it to be the representation of your your actual presence and your actual power. God, let your power and your presence sustain us and surround us. And then the song goes on to say, says, let your priests, may your priests be clothed in righteousness and your faithful people sing for joy. The second request very simply is this, God, let your faithful people serve you with joy. Once we've forgotten God's presence, when we try to do something for God in our own strength and our own power, it becomes more ritual and routine and almost drudgery. It's like God restore to us uh, the joy of serving you. And it's just this amazing request. And then the last request, verse 10, very simply is this. He says, uh, uh, for the sake of your servant, David, do not reject your anointed one. God, would you allow me to be involved in your promise plan. God, you could do it a whole lot of other ways, and there's some ways, I think this is Solomon that's writing this, God, there's some ways that I might have disqualified myself, but God, uh, we want your presence and your power to surround us and sustain us. We want to be your people who serve you with joy, and God, I just want to be one of those people. God, would you, for the sake of your servant David, let me be involved in your promise and in your plan? And the first half is over, and you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He has a plan and a purpose for you. He's planted eternity in your heart to do something great for him. Now, verses 11 through 18, if I if I put or verses 11 through 18, which is really the answer to the three prayers, 
I would put this now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can think, ask, or even imagine to him be glory in the church and through Christ Jesus both now and forevermore to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly. So God, I ask you to remember David in verse 11 says, uh, the Lord swore an oath to David. He made a vow that he will never revoke. By the way, that word revoke in verse 11 is the same exact word in verse 10. Do not reject uh, your anointed one. Same word. And, and God's saying, I don't have to remember David. I remember what I promised. I remember my promise and my plan. And so uh, I'm that, that that's never going to go away. It will never be revoked. And now all of a sudden, you and I, because we have the, the understanding of a, a longer line of biblical history, we start to get excited because we start to get a glimpse of what this might mean. And then God says, this was, this was the the vow that I made that I'll never revoke. Uh, David, I will put one of your sons on your throne. And if your sons obey the terms of my covenant and the laws that I will teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. We see that it's a conditional promise, right? It's there's an if-then statement. And most of us would look at that and say, well, I know enough about Israel to know that they don't have a monarchy anymore, that there's no king sitting there. So did this promise, is this promise gone? No, remember, this promise will never be revoked. What's conditional is who gets to participate in the promise. And if your sons obey the terms of my commandment and the laws that I will teach them, then their sons. It's up to us whether or not we get to participate in the promise and the plan of God. And so uh, there's just this, there's this promise and this plan. Uh, and we get excited because we're like, oh, what, what might this mean? And then David says, or the songwriter says this, uh, the Lord has chosen Zion. You, you asked for his presence and his power for him to rise and go to his dwelling place. Uh, you don't have to ask that because he's already promised that he was going to do that. He's chosen Zion. He's desired it his dwelling, as his dwelling place saying, um, uh, this will be my resting place forever. I will dwell here. I have desired it. I I've all, don't have to ask that prayer because I've already answered that because that's part of my promise and plan. But look, he's the God who does exceedingly abundantly beyond. He doesn't just give us his presence and his power. He gives us his abundant provision. I will bless this city with abundant provision. I will satisfy its poor with food. God is going to give us our daily need, and he is going to give us more than we need to get through the day. He's going to give us everything we need so that we can live a life filled with pluck. It's not just power and presence. It's even more. It's his provision. And it's not just provision. It's his abundant provision. It's meeting our every need. It's why Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. It's what God has promised to do. And so the first answer is even more. I'm not just going to give you uh, my presence and my power. I'm going to give you presence, power, and provision. And then the, the next request was, remember, let your people serve you with joy. But it's even more than that. And we ask for the priest to be clothed with righteousness. And he says, I will clothe your priest, her priest, with salvation. Uh-oh, that's even better than righteousness. I will not just let your people sing, her faithful people sing for joy. I will let them ever sing for joy, loudly sing for joy. It's not just going to be a little. It's going to be more than you could even imagine. And I love this, that I will clothe your priests with salvation. What's he saying? He says, God has always had a channel for the way that his blessing flows. I'm going to bless this city with abundant provision. And one of the ways I'm going to bless it is that your priests will know exactly how other people can be saved. Your priests will know my message of rescue and deliverance, and they're going to pour it out. You say, well, what's that mean for us? What that means for us, those of us who choose to follow Jesus, we, we believe that we're all priests. God says to his people, uh, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Uh, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that God wants to use us to share his message of salvation about who Jesus is and what Jesus did, that he lived a life of perfection, died a death on a cross, that if people confess their sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive their sins, that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. We have the message of salvation, and we're not going to neglect it, and we're not going to reject it, and we're going to sing it loudly, even more loudly, and forever and ever. The answer to the second request is even better than what they could ask or imagine or even think. I will bless, um, I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. And now, it gets really exciting. The last request was, God, 
Use me if you'd be so pleased. Use me. Verses 17 and 18. Now all of a sudden we find out we're talking about something bigger than we could have even imagined. Verse 17 and 18 uses three images. It uses the image of a horn. It uses the image of a lamp. And it uses the image of a crown. It says this, from here, I will make a horn. Some of your translations say grow. Some of them say bud. Some of them say blossom. From here, I will make a horn grow for David. I will set up a lamp for my anointed one. I I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. The horn, let's talk about that first. The horn is the picture of strength and vitality. My friends, this is a reference to Jesus. If you're not sure about the the vow that God made to David that one of his sons would always be on the throne, read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus's lineage can be traced back to this promise that God made David, this vow that he will never revoke. And Solomon and some of his sons rejected the covenant and rejected and rejected uh, God's laws, but Jesus is the fulfillment, and he is the horn that grows. I love the translations that say blossom or or bud or burst forth, and I think it's a picture of the resurrection that Jesus lived a life of perfection, died a death on a cross, and on the third day, he came out, and that horn, that strength, and that vitality that only he can give blossomed that day and is available to each and every one of us. He, from here, I will make a horn blossom for David. I will set up a lamp for my anointed one. As Jesus comes preaching and teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God, one of the things he says is, I am the light of the world. And from Jerusalem, Jesus is going to shine his light and his life and his death is going to penetrate the darkness. But I also think it's a reference to, I I will set up a lamp for my anointed one. Jesus didn't need a lamp to light his way. He he relied on the word of God, which was a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. But I think this is also a reference to the church, that from the church after Jesus bursts forth uh, from the grave, after that, that horn blossoms, the way that the, the message of Jesus is going to continue to grow is through the church. And Jesus is going to say to his followers, um, as he gets ready to ascend into heaven, wait in Jerusalem until uh, the Holy Spirit comes and you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth from Jerusalem. Jesus is going to establish the church and the church is going to be the light to the world that remains to this generation. And it is from Jerusalem that this promise is fulfilled. And then he says this, and I don't want you to miss this. Verse 18, I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. The emphasis there is, what do you choose to decide about Jesus Christ? You will either be his enemy or you will be his friend. And if you are his friend, you will see him not as one who wore just a crown of thorns, but go to Revelation 21, where he will sit on the throne and he will be crowned and you'll have crowns and you'll just throw them at his feet because you'll know he's the only one worthy to wear crowns. Philippians chapter two, that God gave him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the king, he is the ruler, he is the one who reigns and you have a choice. Will you be his enemy or will you be his friend? And to his enemies, he will clothe them with shame. That means total separation for eternity apart from God. To the church at Corinth, the apostle Paul writes these words, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I read them to you from the Good News Translation. All this is done by God, who through Christ changed us from enemies into his friends and gave us the task of making others his friends also. Our message is that God was making all human beings his friends through Christ. God did not keep an account of their sins, and he has given us the message which tells how he makes them his friends as well. Here we are then speaking for Christ as though God himself were making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Let God change you from enemies into his friends. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, God does not want you to remain his enemy. That's why Jesus came. That's why he burst forth from the grave to conquer death and offer you life. That's why the church remains as as his faithful people to be a light to the world, to share this message, to sing and proclaim this message with great joy. 
And friends, God wants to use you, but he's not going to use you until you, first of all, ask Jesus to be your Savior. If you've never done that, I want to give you the chance to do that. And then we're going to listen to some music, and we're going to come back and end this service in just a little bit of a different way. God, I thank you right now that this song takes us all the way from Genesis about those who are concerned about your presence and the recognition of your rightful place in the world and in each of our lives, all the way to Revelation, where we see that at one point you did, and in the future you will reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, I just come in front of you right now, and I pray for the one who right now is your enemy because they've never trusted in what Jesus did. I pray that the truth of these words of your scripture, that Jesus died so that they could become a friend of God. God, may they just cry out, God, I do not understand it all completely, but today I ask Jesus to come into my life, to forgive my sins, and to make me your friend. I know, God, that the only way I can be your friend is to acknowledge that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Savior of my soul. Father, would you continue to speak? Some of us have prayed that prayer, and yet we still don't have a whole lot of pluck. God, help us to take the next step in our spiritual journey to live lives saying, we want your presence and power to surround us. We want to be people who serve you with joy. And God, we want you to use us to accomplish something great in the name of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. May we never lose
I am rejoicing with those of you who today have said, God is now my friend, that you have trusted Jesus. And if that's you, would you please let us know by sending us an email to start at miamivalley.org, start at miamivalley.org. You need to tell somebody. And if you're in a house church with others and you've asked Jesus to be your savior, do not leave that house this morning without telling somebody. But for those of us who've prayed that prayer, our stresses are greater than our strengths. What do we do in those moments? And Psalm 132 tells us, and it starts in verse one, we need to remember. I'd like to ask the question a little bit different way as we get ready to go to the Lord's table. What do you do when you're down on your pluck? 
when you don't have the strength to face all your stresses, well, you need to remember, and remembrance leads to action. And what we need to remember is we need to remember Jesus. Jesus said when he shared this meal with disciples to take the bread and eat it in remembrance of him, and remembrance leads to action. To take the cup and drink it in remembrance of him, and remembrance leads to action. And that action ought to be joyful service and the desire to let God use you to accomplish his purpose, and it ought to keep you up at night. Do you remember when you first asked Jesus to be your Savior? You know what you had when you first asked Jesus to be your Savior? You had a whole lot of beginner's pluck. You had a whole lot of courageous readiness to push through any obstacle that came your way, to tell anybody and everybody who Jesus was. You served him with great joy. Right now, you don't have much pluck, and you need to come to this table and remember. Remember Jesus and let remembrance lead to action. Most of the time when we take the Lord's Supper, we read from that passage of Scripture, uh, the Last Supper, or from the book of 1 Corinthians where, where it lays out the requirements for this meal. But I just want to say to you today, I want to share with you a prayer for pluck. It's from King David himself, found in Psalm 51. And I just want to read a few verses, and I want this to set the tone for the Lord's Supper. David writes this, Cast me not from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. You need a whole lot of pluck when the presence and power of Jesus doesn't surround you. The second part of this prayer, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You need God to, to let you hear, God to hear you say, God, I want to serve you with joy. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You had it when you were a beginner, when you had a whole lot of pluck, and now it's gone. And then verse 13 of Psalm 51, then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. You will sing and shout and proclaim the message of Jesus because God wants to use you to do something great. You have a desire to do something great for God. God has a desire to do something great in you and through you. Would you remember that as we go to this meal? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's for you. Take, eat in remembrance of Jesus. Father, I give you thanks for the life that Jesus lived a life of perfection that allowed him to become the acceptable substitute sufferer on our behalf. We remember what he did for us, and we will take action to live our lives for him so that others may know the sacrifice he gave. Likewise, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup represents the new covenant, the new deal between you and God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And now you don't need the blood of a lamb, uh, a lamb or the blood of a bull or the blood of a goat. You have the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. He loved you so much that he gave his life. Jesus, let me put it another way, went all the way to the cross. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He had a whole lot of pluck for you, a courageous readiness to do whatever it is God called him to do so that you and I could have life so that he could conquer the grave. And he said, this is my blood, which has been shed for you. Take, drink in remembrance of Jesus. Father, I give you thanks that Jesus was willing and had enough pluck, courage and spirited determination to go all the way and die even death on a cross so that we could live. Father, we remember him, and may that remembrance lead us to action. And may that action be to love and share Jesus with this valley starting in our homes and in our neighborhood. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. One more time, friends. How's your pluck? Are you down on your pluck today? Do you need to ask God for some beginner's pluck all over again? I want to encourage you to make Psalm 51, verses 11, 12, and 13 your prayer. It's a prayer for pluck. Let me read it to you one more time. And you personalize it, and you make this your prayer. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Friends, that's the message and the mission of Jesus, and he wants to use you. 
we're asking everybody that considers Miami Valley their church home or who is associated with Miami Valley in any way, shape, or form to join us in the next 90 days of praying a very simple one-sentence prayer. And the prayer is this, God, how would you have us love and share Jesus with this valley? How would you have God, how would you have us love and share Jesus with this valley? I'm going to pray that prayer, and I'm going to ask you if you're willing uh, to say that prayer out loud in your house church today as we pray this together. And friends, he's going to show us. And when he shows us, I just want you to be aware, it's going to require you and me to live with a whole lot of pluck. So would you pray this prayer with me? God, how would you have us love and share Jesus with this valley? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Mystified, may we be just like a child staring. 